12th day of Av in Yemei Chabad, in the days of Chabad, uh, we're going to talk about two things about the wedding of the Alter Rebbe and also about the purchasing of the building of 770 Eastern Parkway. They both took place on this day. Um, so first we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Alter Rebbe's marriage. Now, the Alter Rebbe, as you know, is the founder of the Chabad movement. Uh, he's the one that uh, wrote the Shulchan Aruch that we study. He is the one that wrote the Tanya. Um, he was a uh, you know a very special uh, soul. Not only not only was he a brilliant in the in this world, but by tradition he also had a a, a, a brand new soul, which is something very unique. Uh, it only happens in the uh, in these days. It happens very rarely. Um, you know, generally, traditionally, we have there's like six hundred thousand souls, and like each soul later on gets sort of broken up and fragmented into many other souls. That's why we have more than six hundred thousand people because our souls are just merely a fragment of a fragment of some fragment of some soul. So we. We don't have a brand new soul in of itself. A lot of times these souls that have come down are reincarnation. This is all in the Kabbalah. They reincarnation from souls that were in previous generations. So for a new soul to come down, like totally new, never been down, that's like a very unique experience. It doesn't really happen in nowadays much. But the Alter Rebbe was one of these people who had a brand new uh, soul. Now, the Alter Rebbe, at a very young age, was already an outstanding scholar. He was an outstanding, uh, with his knowledge, he was uh, known as a genius and a young scholar. And when the Alter Rebbe became time, when he was 15 years old, in those days, people would marry at an early age, um, and at the age of 15, um, he was already time for him to get married, and people already knew about the Alter Rebbe that he was a, uh, a genius, that he was a brilliant man, and uh, there was one of the uh, big balabata, meaning uh, the wealthy people. His name was Rabbi Huda Leib Segal. Uh, he was one of the great the people of Vitebsk. Consider Vitebsk. Uh, he took the as his chosen uh, uh, to engage to his daughter. I mean, most of the marriages were arranged then, you know, would see a, a nice uh, yeshiva bacher, or in this case, he was an outstanding uh, student, and uh, he was a, a, a wealthy man, so he he took the Alter Rebbe, and now, originally, the wedding was set uh, for the month of Elul in the year Tov Kuf Yud Tes. That would place this uh, some 250 years ago, that approximately, uh, okay, um, um, and um, and but the, his father, Reb Baruch, which was the father of Reb Shneir Zalman, he uh, left uh, from his home in the beginning of the month of Elul, so they had to push off the wedding, and you know they were sort of trying to de, um, decide when the wedding should take place. Uh, the the Mechutten wanted to make it in on the, on the winter of the month in the next year. But anyways, it turns out that they scheduled the uh, Hasana for the 12th day of Menachemov. That's, that's when they scheduled the Hasana.
Um, now, in those days, um, not so much common today, or in some communities maybe it's still common, uh, the father-in-law would give a dowry for uh, the new son-in-law. Uh, one of the... Um, one of the uh, conditions of the when the marriage took place was that he, he was a wealthy man and that he was going to give 5,000 uh, uh, golden, uh, uh, I guess, uh, money, uh, 5,000 shekels, 5,000 uh, 5, shekels, golden shekels that were promised. Now, the Al-Drebi said, you can imagine, that was a large, large amount of money, a large sum of money. But the Al-Drebi conditioned that he should be allowed to do with the money as he pleases. So there should be no restrictions on that money, that he should be able to handle it as he wants. And as soon as the Al-Drebi got married, um, together with the consent of his wife, her name was Sterna, the Rebbitzin Sterna, that was the wife of the Rebbe. So together with her uh, agreement, they gave the money, the entire money, to families that wanted to settle as farmers, basically, to work the land. Um, he helped them buy property, uh, land. He helped them buy you know, the livestock that they needed, the tools for working the land. And many Jewish settlements of farmers have established through that money that the Al-Tarebbe gave them, uh, in this is all along the river, the Divin, the the, the, the Divin River, is near Vitebsk. Uh, that crosses the city of Vitebsk. I'm not sure what they call the river today, but it's in the city of Vitebsk. And huh? Huh? Vina, Vina, yeah, Vina. That's what it's called today too. Yeah, the Dvina River that crosses, in, I guess, in the city of Vitebsk. And um, the Altarebbe would visit these, um, these settlements regularly, and he would have, tell the, to encourage them to study Torah, and he would teach them from the Torah. So these were simple folks. I mean, they were settled over there. But it helped them, eventually helped them for their parnasa, you know, for their livelihood and for... They, they needed, you know, so this was, I mean, if you think about it, it was an amazing thing of a young man taking all that money that he got as his nadin, and he gave it away for tzedakah, really to help people uh, settle and uh, help them in such a special way. Uh, he gave it all away uh, to these people. Uh, now, his wife, yeah, sorry, what were you going to say? No, then he also had to want to learn trades. In that in that case in those years the farming was the, the was the trade was the trade and that was the I guess that was the uh, source of parnasa for people to have their livelihood was being farmers that sort of guaranteed something you know tangible I mean the Jews were not welcome in a lot of different areas you know in those days uh, but in that apparently they were able to do that I mean. This is talking about, you know, the Tsar we're talking about. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, Alexander when that yeah, I'm not sure exactly who was then. Alexander yeah. um, sure. All right, so anyways, his wife, uh, the Sterna, she was a very special woman too, modest, and, and she was a very wise, a wise woman. And uh, many times, you know, she would have sayings that they would be... Uh, 
people would uh, later on uh, listen to. Um, Alta Rebbe honored her a lot. He gave her a lot of respect, and she was very dedicated to the Rebbe. After the Alta Rebbe passed away, so she uh, went together with her son. We mentioned the other day that they settled in the city of Lubavitch. The Alta Rebbe was in the two in Liozhne and Liadi, but then the Mitla Rebbe went to the city of Lubavitch. That's where they came to Lubavitch. And she would live in the apartment together with her grandson, the Tzamach Tzedek. That was her place, Um it's, it's told that sometimes uh, she was uh, had a complaint to her son. She was uh, the Mitla Rebbe, he was the Rebbe. And she says, uh, You think that you have a spirituality? He says, I can tell you about spirituality uh, more than you because I lived with your father, he says, for 50 years. <laughs> she says. And um, she says, I can even accept, you know, uh, a pan is when the Hasidim write to the Rebbe uh, 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 a special note, which is called a pan, it's called a pidgin effish, a redemption of the soul. It's a, a special kind of a, um, of a letter, of a note, in which, you know, you write to your Rebbe for... Uh, help, uh, prayer, and help in your spiritual stat or even for physical things. So she says that she can do it as well. That was the um, that was the story with the Alter Rebbe. So his wedding took place on the twelfth day of Menachem Ov. Now many turn uh, clock ahead. Uh, this was uh, actually in Tovshin, which is uh, 1940. Uh, now the previous Rebbe came to this country and. Um, and the previous Rebbe, uh, basically, his slogan what he was that he came to, to tell the world that America is no different. Which means, you know, people told, uh, everybody was used to the idea that America, you know, a lot of people came from overseas, they kept Shabbos, they kept kosher, they did all the things, but they came to America, the land of opportunity, over here, you don't have to do anything. And uh, people, um, a lot of people didn't have choices. They thought they didn't have choices. I mean, if they wanted a job, you had to work Shabbos. If they wanted to, uh, to eat, you know, it was just very, uh, very, very difficult time. And people would normally say that, well, it's a different story in the old country. America is different. And the Rebbe's slogan was, America is nicht anders, meaning America is no different. In other words, the same God, the same Torah, same Yiddishkeit is in this place. So, uh, and, you know, it was an uphill battle. Nobody would even uh, expect, you know, anything to really uh, take place. Uh, it was, like, impossible. At some point, people were telling the Rebbe, friends of the Rebbe, Rebbe, we don't want you to be disappointed. We, we, we really are with you. We feel for you. And, you know, but... We want to tell you some realities that you're not aware of. And the Rebbe later on writes in his diary how much he cried, you know, with these people coming to warn him that he will not succeed, that he's doomed for failure. This is never going to happen in this country. And the Rebbe, of course, said, no, it is going to happen, and it's going to happen big. So the Rebbe, initially when he came, he stayed in, in, in a uh, hotel, actually. It was temporary. He was in a Greystone Hotel. That was on Broadway and 91st Street. But that was like a temporary, uh, a temporary place. And uh, he came here in uh, Tess Oder, the ninth day of Oder. So this was already before Pesach. And there was several months. And 
the people put in a lot of effort uh, and they went and they purchased uh, the building on 770 Eastern Parkway. But it's interesting that they say that this is going to be a building that is going to be able to hold and serve all the needs of the community uh, for the Rebbe and it has enough rooms and enough place uh, to breathe. But uh, as you know, this didn't really suffice for a very long. I mean, uh, it's been renovated and bought, and buildings around it have been bought and bought, and they enlarged it again and again and again to hold the crowd, you know, that has joined, you know, uh, many, many times, you know, several, uh, uh, several, several places. Uh, but actually, at the middle of the month of uh, Menachem Av, uh, uh, the Rebbe came to, uh, you know, see the house they purchased on the 12th day of Av, they purchased it, and they davened over there, and he gave a special blessing that Hashem should help, that this should be a permanent house for study of Torah, for service of Hashem, and also be a, a it should be permanent in the soul, but only temporary, because hope Mashiach will come and will be in Israel, so we don't have to be here uh, permanently. Now, you know that the, the building is called 770. Um, you know, if you ask anybody, they tell you 770. Where is 770? 770 Eastern Parkway. That's the, uh, the base Rabbi Nushababavil. That's the house of our teacher in, 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 in the Babylonian, which means outside of Eretz Yisrael in the temporary time. It's, it's over there. It's in, it's in uh, and there's a tradition, actually, that the shuls all over the diaspora uh, will actually be uh, says that the um, shuls will actually be flown to Israel when Mashiach comes. No, no they'll fly themselves. They won't need. Actually, the clouds will fly with the clouds. We won't need. You know, the Dhamma says no. So, so all these shuls, the uh, holy places, and that's why it's so important. In addition to everything else. Um, not to uh, make sure like houses of worship are not sold to other places because uh, but it's done. All it's done. That's uh, that's a big shame. The Rebbe fought. The Rebbe. The Rebbe fought it very much against this. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, but it's a very big. It's a shame. But can't you can move the show from one place to another? Right? Well, uh, you're not supposed to sell the there is. There is. Yeah, not supposed to really sell the property. There's something about the walls. And the building and the mortar and the cement of that particular place, where you which absorbed so many, so many prayers and so many, even the physical structure. I mean, there are certain conditions, but generally speaking, uh, one should be very, very careful. And under most circumstances, one shouldn't. I mean, there are exceptional circumstances. You know, if your life is in danger, there are certain times you're allowed to sell a shul for various different things. The only reason to really uh, do it is to sell it is to make it bigger and better. But of course, we know that when neighborhoods went bad and there's nobody using it over there and they wanted to change it, so you have to uh, evaluate each situation. It's not across the board. But just to say, suffice to say that the Rebbe fought very strongly against uh, having buildings uh, sold, especially shuls, sold to, to non Jews or to certainly to other religions, which you know takes away from the uh, fact, the holiness that this place was used for a sanctuary and it's called the Migdash Ma'at. 
but um, the uh, 770, uh, the number 770 also has some significance in very different ways. But one of the things is that the motto of Chabad was Uferatzta. Uferatzta is, is a word in the Bible, in the Torah, where it says that you shall burst out. This was the blessing that Hashem gave, that you shall burst out uh, to the east and to the west, expand, blessing him that he's going to be successful. So one of the motives of Chabad has also been Uferatzta to not to stay within your corners, but to spread out all over the world and everywhere. So the numerical value of the word paratsta, which is well, equal 770. So that was uh, sort of the equal coincidence. No coincidence. Yeah, the number was, uh, and that happened. And uh, we can only imagine how much good came out of that of that room and that building. How much holiness? How much prayers? How much help? How much salvation, how much Yiddishkeit, how much Torah all over the world came out from that small room, from the, from the Rebbe's rooms and the previous Rebbe room. It used to be a, a doctor's actually before they yeah, had. It used to be a doctor. Yeah, you yeah, know, know that story? that story. Okay. So, but eventually an, an abortion over there, I guess yes. it was an abortion clinic. Right. But, well, yeah. so that was another mitzvah, was I guess. When he had a problem when he was paralyzed or something? Yes. So they, they used the elevator. Why the building with an elevator, elevator right yeah. Right? yeah. He suffered. He wasn't, I mean, he, he passed away relatively at the age of 70, but he was already a broken man because he suffered a lot uh, uh, from the imprisonment and, and uh, took a lot of abuse. Uh, from various stages in his life, and uh, but yet he was unmoved. He couldn't. His determination and his his holiness and his leadership and his continuous push and it's unbelievable. Like the yeshivas, like in in Boston and Worcester, Springfield, they were all established by the previous Rebbe. Yeah, uh, he said. He sent people, but and it wasn't like today uh, that there were so many Hasidim. I mean, there was very, very few, and like I said before, people didn't relate to this old kind of thinking. You know, today there's a whole new generation. You know, you see people running around with tzitzis, with yarmulkes, all over. This is already pretty normal today, but in those days, this wasn't the case. You know, you had to convince parents to send the kid from public school to send them to yeshiva and you know there was no of course there was no big monies over there involved you couldn't charge much for tuition because if you would charge for tuition they wouldn't send you the kids and so they would take them in for free and they'd have to find money to pay their teachers to pay the buildings and and this was all orchestrated by the started by the previous rebbe and then later on uh, the rebbe expanded this you know so much more and on a global way the way we see today uh, what? Sorry, what you said? Uh, yeah, that you're talking about the marketing genius here. But I think I think that the truth mark to a certain extent markets itself. Unlike the conventional ways of thinking. Well, the conventional way of thinking of marketing, I think, again, is to manipulate people's minds. And you try to tell the person that this is what you need and then they're going to spend the money and then they're going to go and buy into what you're doing. But it's, you're not necessarily uh, genuine. But the Torah that he was selling, he was selling them the same old, he was selling the goods were there 
from the beginning. But rather than calling it the genius of marketing, I think that it was more a leadership and of a recognition of the people around him, of his great leadership and holiness, and just the combination of the truth. And was there was no, I've heard people say he didn't have as you would think, a, a plan, a business plan, or a, a marketing plan, that he was going to go after these people, this way he's going to do it. No, 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 it didn't, it didn't work that way. It was really from the heart to the heart, but it was ingenious ideas of extending himself to people that brought the people in, that the people could relate to, that people felt comfortable with, that people can... It, he, he, he sort of brought it to the people at their level versus... Uh, keeping it apart, people can connect to it. You know, sometimes people are detached; they're not, they're not connected. Where was it? Where was it? Dorchester. Where was it? That was later on. That was the second place. Where was it? Place was the corner of Columbia Road and Washington Street, which then they built the Stop and Shop on. You know where the Burke High School is? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was right next. So it was a big house. Then they Stop and Shop on all the land. And I don't know if they owned the building or not, and then they moved to see the street. Right, yeah, wow. So, but anyway, so that all comes, that's all comes from 770 uh, Easter Park, that purchase of the building. So when we talk today and we say that a 12th day of Av is a special day in the history of Chabad, it is a special day. Because at uh, that time we didn't know, maybe the Rebbe knew, but we didn't know, we didn't realize what that building is going to serve and how much... Torah, how much holiness is going to come from there, we know now, but that's uh, different. Okay.